Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about common procedures in anesthetics. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash procedures or in the anesthetics and ICU section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Let's start by talking about the basic anatomy of the upper airway. If you were to travel from the nostrils down to the trachea or the airway, you'd first travel through the nasal cavity, then across the top of the palate to the pharynx or the throat, past the epiglottis, which protects food from going into the airway, then you'd reach the opening of the larynx, go through the vocal cords and down into the larynx and the trachea. If you were to go through the mouth, you'd first come across the lips, then the teeth, then pass the tongue into the pharynx, pass the epiglottis and again to the opening of the larynx, vocal cords and then the larynx and trachea. Beside the opening of the larynx is the esophagus, which leads down to the stomach. When something enters through the nose or the mouth and into the pharynx, it can either go into the esophagus down to the stomach or into the larynx past the vocal cords and into the trachea down to the lungs. Next let's talk about endotracheal intubation. An endotracheal tube or an ETT is a flexible plastic tube with an inflatable cuff or a balloon at one end and a connector at the other. The tip of the endotracheal tube is inserted through the mouth, through the throat or the pharynx, through the larynx and the vocal cords and into the trachea. Endotracheal tubes come in different sizes so that they match the size of the patient with their diameter written in millimetres. So for example, a diameter of 7 to 7.5 millimetres may be used for women and 8 to 8.5 millimetres for men. Once the endotracheal tube is in the correct position, a syringe can be used to inflate the cuff via what's called the pilot line. There is a pilot balloon towards the end of the pilot line which inflates along with the cuff and allows the anaesthetist to roughly assess how inflated the cuff is while the cuff's out of sight inside the trachea. The pressure in the cuff can be checked with a manometer which is a pressure sensor to avoid over or under inflation. There's a valve on the end of the pilot line that keeps the pilot balloon inflated. The Murphy's eye is an extra hole on the side of the tip of the endotracheal tube that gas can flow through in the event that the main opening at the tip of the endotracheal tube becomes occluded or blocked. A laryngoscope is a metal blade attached to a handle with a light attached. It's inserted through the mouth and into the pharynx to visualise the vocal cords. An endotracheal tube can be guided along the blade of the laryngoscope into position in the trachea. A McGrath laryngoscope is a high-tech version of a standard laryngoscope, which has a camera and a screen attached so that the vocal cords can be visualised via a live video feed. A boogie is a device to help with intubation, notably when the vocal cords cannot be visualised. The boogie is inserted into the trachea and then the endotracheal tube slides along the boogie into the correct position in the airway. The boogie is then removed and the endotracheal tube remains in place. 
A stylet is another device to help with intubation. It's a stiff metal wire with a plastic coating that's inserted into the endotracheal tube before intubation is attempted. It can be bent to hold the endotracheal tube in a specific shape and it's usually used to bend the tip anteriorly towards the trachea to avoid going posteriorly into the esophagus. Awake fiber optic intubation is a special procedure where the endotracheal tube is inserted with the patient awake under the guidance of an endoscope or camera. A long thin tube with a camera on the end called an endoscope is inserted through the nose or mouth down to a position below the vocal cords. The endotracheal tube is then inserted over the top of this tube into the correct position. Then the endoscope is removed, leaving the endotracheal tube in position. This can be used where there's restricted mouth opening or difficult anatomy, for example after radiotherapy to the neck. Putting the patient to sleep prior to inserting the endotracheal tube is more risky as a delay in intubation can lead to hypoxia or low oxygen. It's worth noting the definition of trismus, which refers to pain and restriction when opening the jaw. This can make intubation more difficult and might mean that the patient needs awake fiber optic intubation. Next, let's talk about supraglottic airway devices. A supraglottic airway device, or SAD, is an alternative to endotracheal intubation in order to ventilate a patient. They're very commonly used in both elective and emergency scenarios. They're the first option if intubation fails in a difficult airway scenario. The tip of the supraglottic airway device will be located at the top of the esophagus. The cuff will fit around the opening of the larynx, forming a seal between the device and the airway. The cuff of the supraglottic airway device may be inflatable or non-inflatable. Devices with inflatable cuffs are called laryngeal mask airways, or LMAs. Eye gel is a type of non-inflatable supraglottic airway device that uses a gel-like cuff that moulds around the shape of the larynx. Let's talk about some other airway devices. Oropharyngeal, or Goodell airways, are inserted into the oropharynx. They're rigid and create an air passage from in front of the teeth to the base of the tongue, maintaining a patent upper airway. Oropharyngeal airways are inserted upside down, then rotated into position once the tip is past the tongue. These are most often used when ventilating a patient via a face mask and a bag prior to inserting a supraglottic airway device or an endotracheal tube. The size of the oropharyngeal airway is measured from the centre of the mouth to the angle of the jaw. Nasopharyngeal airways are slightly flexible tubes inserted through the nose. They create an air passage from the outside of the nostril to the pharynx or the throat. The size is measured from the edge of the nostril to the tragus of the ear. They're often used in emergency scenarios, for example in A&E or at cardiac arrests. As they're inserted through the nose, they carry a risk of nosebleeds or epistaxis. A base of skull fracture is a contraindication for inserting a nasopharyngeal airway. Next let's talk about tracheostomy. 
A tracheostomy refers to creating an opening in the trachea. Ostomy refers to opening and trache refers to trachea. A hole is made in the front of the neck with direct access to the trachea. A tracheostomy tube is inserted through the hole into the trachea and held in place with stitches or a soft tie around the neck, which is called a track tie. Tracheostomies may be temporary or permanent, depending on the indication. They can be planned and inserted under a general anaesthetic or performed in an emergency with a general or a local anaesthetic depending on the circumstances. They're often inserted at the end of head and neck operations, for example after a laryngectomy procedure where a permanent tracheostomy will be required. Indications for a tracheostomy include respiratory failure where long-term ventilation may be required, for example after an acquired brain injury, prolonged weaning from mechanical ventilation, for example ICU patients that are weak after a critical illness, upper airway obstruction, for example by a tumour or after head and neck surgery, management of respiratory secretions, for example in patients with paralysis, and reducing the risk of aspiration, for example in patients with an unsafe swallow or an absent cough reflex. Tracheostomy tubes are short and curved. There are quite a few variations of tubes depending on their use. They usually have an outer tube that stays in place with an inner tube that can be removed to be cleaned or changed. They have inflatable cuffs that hold them in place and seal the airway, similar to endotracheal tubes. Next let's talk about difficult airways. The Difficult Airway Society, or DAS, have published guidelines on the steps to take in the case of an unanticipated difficulty with intubating a patient. And you can see the full DAS guidelines from 2015. This is a very brief summary of the four stages. Plan A is laryngoscopy with tracheal intubation. Plan B is a supraglottic airway device. Plan C is face mask ventilation and to wake the patient up. And plan D is a cricothyroidotomy, which involves cutting into the neck to access the airway directly. Next let's talk about arterial lines. An arterial line is a special type of cannula inserted directly into an artery, for example the radial artery. The blood pressure can be accurately monitored in real time using an arterial line. Arterial blood samples for arterial blood gas monitoring can be taken directly from the line. Medications are never given through an arterial line. Next let's talk about central lines. A central line is also called a central venous catheter or CVC. This is essentially a long tube with several lumens, usually three to five lumens, that's inserted into a large vein with the tip located in the vena cava. It may be inserted into the internal jugular vein, the subclavian vein or the femoral vein. Central lines have separate lumens or tubes which can be used for giving medications or taking blood samples. They last longer and they're more reliable than peripheral cannulas. 
They can also be used for medications that would be too irritating to be given through a peripheral cannula, for example, inotropes, amiodrone, or fluids with a high potassium concentration. Next, let's talk about a vas cath. A vas cath is a type of central venous catheter inserted on a temporary basis, usually into the internal jugular or the femoral vein. It has two or three lumens and it may be used for short-term hemodialysis in renal failure. Next, let's talk about PIC lines. A peripherally inserted central catheter, or PIC line, is a type of central venous catheter. A long, thin tube is inserted into a peripheral vein, for example in the arm, and the tube is fed through the venous system until the tip is in a central position, meaning in the vena cava or the right atrium. PIC lines contain one or two lumens that are a narrower diameter than a standard central line. Next, let's talk about tunneled central venous catheters. A Hickman line is a type of tunneled central venous catheter. It's a long, thin catheter that enters the skin on the chest, travels through the subcutaneous tissues, which is why it's called tunneled, then enters into the subclavian or the jugular vein with a tip that sits in the superior vena cava or the right atrium. There is a cuff or a sleeve that surrounds the catheter. It promotes healing and adhesion of tissue to the cuff, making the catheter more permanent and providing a barrier to bacterial infection. Tunneled cuffed catheters can stay in longer term and be used for regular intravenous treatment, for example chemotherapy or hemodialysis. Next let's talk about pulmonary artery catheters. Pulmonary artery catheters are also known as Swan-Gans catheters. A pulmonary artery catheter is inserted through the central venous system, through the right atrium, right ventricle and into the pulmonary artery. They have a balloon on the end that can be inflated to wedge the catheter in a branch of the pulmonary artery. The pressure distal to the wedged balloon can be measured and this gives the pulmonary artery wedge pressure which gives an indication of the pressures in the left atrium. This is mostly used in specialist cardiac centres for close monitoring of cardiac function and response to treatment. Finally, let's talk about portacaths. A portacath is a type of central venous catheter. There is a small chamber or port under the skin at the top of the chest that's used to access the device. This chamber is connected to a catheter that travels through the subcutaneous tissue and into the subclavian vein, with a tip that sits in the superior vena cava or the right atrium. When nothing is attached to the port, the skin remains intact and there are no lines outside the body. The port can be seen as a bump on the chest wall and felt through the skin similar to palpating a pacemaker. When the catheter needs to be accessed, a needle is inserted through the skin and into the port, allowing injections to be given or infusions to be set up. They remain in place long term and they can be used for regular intravenous treatment for example, chemotherapy. So thanks for listening to this episode on common procedures in anaesthetics. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing all the podcasts in this series. 
And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about pain management.